Educators want to stay fresh with literacy instruction, but are so busy with students, they don't always have the time. All year long, Choice Literacy publishes and delivers the best K-12 literacy practices so that educators can grow their students as readers and writers with choice in literacy. Welcome to the Big Fresh Choice Literacy Podcast. I'm Ruth Ayers. Let us be grateful for the people who make us happy. They are the charming gardeners who make our souls blossom. Marcel Proust. Let's connect. Hi, friends. I'm happy to share some of the exciting things happening around choice literacy. We have been highlighting forms, templates, and printables for you to download. This week, Christy Rush Levine shares her classroom library permission slip that she sends home with her middle school students, as well as an initial reader's notebook entry form. You won't want to miss her informative and inspiring new article, A Case for Graphic Novels as Real Reading. We are pleased to announce updates with our group memberships. Literacy team memberships offer a discounted rate as well as the ease of managing your team through a group dashboard. Join our Choice Literacy Book Club. We have the most eclectic list because our contributors select the monthly reads, and they vary from picture books to manga to young adult novels. You can join the book club and dip in according to your interest and availability. Go ahead and register on the site. We have been diligent about adding courses for you to explore. All courses are free to our literacy leader and literacy team members. Some are free to classic classroom members. Anyone may purchase a course for unlimited access to its content. When you complete a course, you may download a course completion certificate that logs the professional learning hours of the course. Each week, our podcast highlights the features in the newsletter, and on the last Friday of the month, we share the book club conversation. You can listen to the Choice Literacy Big Fresh podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. We want to get to know you better. Please say hello through your favorite social media stomping grounds. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter to stay in the know with the latest K-12 literacy practices, as well as participate in fun conversations and giveaways. Make sure to check the show notes for links to all these things. This week, we look at expanding reading choices for students. I hope you enjoy listening in to our book club conversation about Enduring Freedom by Trent Reedy and Jawed Arash. Tonight we're talking about the young adult book Enduring Freedom. Uh, by Jawad Arash and Trent Reedy. And uh, my name is Ruth Ayers. I'm the editor-in-chief of Choice Literacy, and a few other people are joining me for book club tonight. Hi, I'm Christy Rush-Levine. I teach sixth grade language arts in a southwest suburb of Chicago. Hi, I'm Tara Barnett, and I teach sixth and seventh grade literacy in Fairhaven, New Jersey. And hi, I'm Leanne Eck, and I teach sixth grade language arts in Vincent, Indiana. So tonight, um, we're talking about Enduring Freedom, and the first time I read this, I, I loved the book, 
But the second time I read it, I think I appreciated it a little bit more. Maybe the first time I read it, it was an ebook, and this time it was a hard copy. And maybe that had a little bit to do with it. But this book is co-written and it has dual narratives, and the stories come from both of the characters. In the end notes, Trent Reedy talks about this story. It would be meaningless without Bahir's experiences. And I thought writing this way is, is kind of what left an impact on me, hearing both sides of the story and then reading the end notes and hearing those comments. Um, so I just kind of like to, to throw that out about the dual narrative. How did you guys feel about reading that? So I had read um, Words in the Dust by Trent Reedy as well, um, which was more from just the point of view of um, the soldier. And so I really appreciated having the two viewpoints. Um, and I can echo what you've said in terms of the author's note about it being um, more meaningful, like that it that his story really wouldn't exist without the story of um, his co-author. And um, I had trouble, I found when I was reading it, I had trouble separating the fictional characters from the authors themselves, um, because I know there's a lot of real life experience that went into writing the fiction. Um, and so I, I had to remind myself to kind of take a step back and recognize um, that this is fictionalized because so much of the emotion um, and reflection just rings so true. I really enjoyed the structure as well of having, having different perspectives just in general, but in this book as well, I'm really enjoying it. And I found myself at the beginning really kind of um, not anxious, but kind of anticipating when their two stories met as we were at the beginning part, just meeting each of them separately. I know there are so many connections between their real lives and the story. And like you said, Christy, it is kind of hard to separate them. But I also think that that's what made me appreciate the story even more. Even today, you know, I know that Trent posts on his Facebook um, updates on Jawad and it's, I don't know, I just think that made it such, such more of an impact to me just because I know that they're still friends and they're still, they're still in communication. And I know um, towards the end of the story, when um, they leave, he, I think he still feels that way now. Cause I think he kind of feels like he deserted not only Bahir, but also Jawad just even in real life. And I know that sounds maybe kind of confusing, but I, I, again, Christy, I think what you said is so true. The connections, the they're so they mirror each other so much that it is hard to separate the two. I found myself making a lot of connections to um, Reedy's previous Words in the Dust book, which was also based on his experience as a soldier. Um, and in that book, he was telling the story of a young girl that, as a soldier, he had encountered. And the American soldiers had worked to um, help get her surgery for a cleft palate. And in this book, so much of the same um, exists. Like it's about this relationship that he formed with another um, local Afghani who 
um, he impacted as much as allowed that person to impact him. Um, and so I just found it interesting the same that similar threads showed up. And uh, it's almost like comparing the two stories, you can see um, the evolution of his reflection on his experience as a soldier, because there's so much more, like he didn't pull any punches in this one. I feel like um, there were times when I was kind of shocked at the, the rawness of the honesty of the way that um, Bahir and Joe feel about each other. Um, that at the beginning, Joe is so very clear that he's not really separating the um, Afghani civilians from um, the Taliban, from the extremists that he is like just itching to fight. And then even it shows up, like even as he's starting to evolve and see um, sort of the roundedness, the 3D versions of these people, um, not just sort of this flattened idea of, you know, American soldiers are the good guys and um, Taliban bad guys. Like you start to see sort of the depth of the culture, but even then like these little flickers of judgment would come out um, where he would just kind of push back against pieces of the culture that are just different than American culture um, and sort of have this sort of this attitude. And then I would read Bahir's section and Bahir would talk about just the ignorance and the arrogance of the American soldiers. And I just so appreciated just the rawness of that honesty. And I know um, Reedy addressed it in the author's note that like they intentionally made the choice to display kind of some of those um, ideas, those feelings honestly, knowing that some of the, the thoughts that they each had were offensive, um, but they wanted to be honest in sort of the evolution of that so that as readers, we could go on that journey with them and that as readers, maybe it would impact us more too. And I would have to say, like, compared to when I, you know, you had mentioned like a first reading of this book and a second reading, I don't have a second reading of this book, but having that first reading of Reedy's experience as a soldier in Words in the Dust, and then this as sort of a second reading of um, similar experiences as a soldier. I appreciate the sort of that depth because I think that I went on that journey a whole lot more alongside reading in this book than I had mm -hmm. in the previous one. I, Chrissy, I have that book, but I have not read that one yet. So I guess that's something that I, I probably need to do, don't I? <laughs> I think you'll find lots of connections. Like I, he talks about um, Bridge to Terabithia and the power that had in him as having been an English teacher and then, um, you know, been, being deployed as a soldier and the way that Bridge to Terabithia just sort of breathed new life into him in this sort of barren landscape and, you know, in the absence of so much other emotion, um, it shows up in both books and I thought that oh. would be too. Okay. I didn't realize it was in that one. I loved that part though in, in this book, how he did make that connection with Bridge to Terabithia and, and how that really saved him. I mean, I think that that shows the power of story, not only as a reader, but he also, you know, was a writer and he was looking at the power of story through writing about his, you know, his time over there and I think he learned that it was it was all about the people 
it wasn't really about the fighting or the war, but it was about the people. So I found both of those things very powerful. So Trent Reedy is um, a new author for me. I hadn't read Words in the Dust or or anything else by Trent Reedy, but something that interested me when we were, you know, talk when when we were talking about the new book club book was that we read the breadwinner in school. So that's one right away that I know that when I'm talking to my students about this, like the, the connection that's going to happen, like the breadwinner is happening pre 2001 when the Taliban is still in power. And right away, as they start reading it, seeing all those connections, um, you know, between like what was happening pre 2001 and the lead up to Americans getting there. So I find that really interesting. Tara, I would imagine this would make a great book talk then for the, you know, post breadwinner. Um, your kids will kind of be primed with the background knowledge to then sort of continue, you know, sequentially kind of continue the timeline um, through this. Yeah, I mean, literally, it's going it's, it will be sequential for them. And I think even some of the language, like the breadwinner is really supportive with the glossary and things like that, but they won't need that this time because they'll have had that previous experience um, coming into this. And I do feel like I'll have a lot of kids who will be really, really interested in, in here reading this perspective also of getting the two different perspectives. I agree. And I want to go back. Um, I'm not positive that Bridget Terbithia shows up in words in the dust because I also heard Trent Reedy speak and he spoke with Catherine Patterson. Um, and that was at the same time that was on a tour for words in the dust. So in my memory, it shows up in the book, but it's been a lot of years. Mm. Um, but he talked extensively. He and Catherine Patterson had still, um, the letters they had written while he was deployed. Um, you know, the letters that Trent had sent Patterson still had the sand from Afghanistan. Um, just cause sand, he said sand got everywhere. You know? oh. So she would, <laughs> She, you know, it still had sort of the remnants in the creases of the paper. Um, and so I just have such a vivid memory of that. So it brought me right back to that book, but it, perhaps it was bringing me right back to that um, conversation. So you had mentioned the difference between reading the ebook and the um, hard copy. And I read this book in a way that I've never read a book before. And that was like a hybrid form of audio and hard copy. So I would like listen to some chapters while I was driving or um, cleaning or like getting other things done. And then I would pick up the book and continue chapters um, in paper form. And I've never done that before. And it really made the voice of the characters so vivid in my mind while I was reading because the audio is really well done. It's two different voices. Um, and so you even hear them differently. Um, and so then I was able to kind of hear those voices in my head as I was reading the paper copy as well. Christy, did you find that there were certain parts of the book um, where you were wanting to read the paper copy versus listening to the audio or the other way around? Yes. Yeah, so the scene in the hospital with the burn victim um, mm. is really graphic. And I had been listening to that part and I actually transitioned into the book at that po point because I wanted to be able to, to go at my own pace and like read more quickly through some of the parts that were really disturbing. Um, 
so I was really aware of that in this book. And I don't know if that was true for you guys, Leanne and Tara, but there were lots of parts of this book that like, it's, it's heavy, it's serious. Mm-hmm. And it's, um, the, so there were parts that I was like leaning into my discomfort and realizing like, I, I have things to, to learn and ways in which I can grow. Um, so when it would make me uncomfortable, I'd kind of try to think about, you know, what was uncomfortable about it, but it wasn't like, it wasn't a light read. It wasn't the kind of reading I could do right before bed. Mm-hmm. Like I'm accustomed to, um, because it, it pushed me to think so much. No, I think this is one of those books that will make kids think and maybe rethink about what war is really all about. Um, Because I know, you know, like in the beginning, Joe was disappointed because he was in the infantry and yet he wasn't fighting. All he was doing was, you know, helping the people of Afghanistan recreate or re redo their 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 lives so to speak and I just think that that whole that whole definition and especially toward the end where they start talking about um, how war is being more about control and I think that those would be some powerful discussions to have with kids um, what you know what their definition of war is and what they kind of envision it being and then reading this and having those those tough discussions I found myself wondering, Leanne, where he was going to end up that was going to make this all okay. Um, when I was in the midst of the book, I was like, I, this is, it's heartbreaking. It's hard stuff to read about um, because it is, it's real. And it's not, um, it's not disconnected from what we're living now and what, you know, people in Afghanistan are living now. And so I was, I was surprised by, um, in the message in the end about the power of literacy and education, uh, and that, that really was a thread through both of these characters' lives and, bo- you know, both authors' lives, obviously, as well. Um, and I, I really think the language in the book does a beautiful job of conveying that, that love of literacy, the love of language, the beauty of it. Um, but I, I was surprised at the end that that was sort of the thread of hope that I held on to was the power that stories hold and the power that language holds. Mm-hmm. And again, not only, um, you know, reading like his, his connection with Bridge to Terabithia, but, but also writing those stories since he was becoming a journalist. That's kind of, um, a perfect segue into what I wanted to pull out next on page 177. I always try to like to pull something from a text that I can use as examples of writing. And I'm just going to read this real quick. Um, It says, Krista was right. Bridge to Terabithia wasn't Joe's usual choice of book, but he absolutely loved it to hold a book in his hands again, to fill the smooth pages at his fingertips, to smell the paper that scent of hope and endless possibility to drift into the blessedly faraway world of the story, leaving everything else behind was in that lonely place, like a first precious gasp of air after finally surfacing from a deep, dark lake. It felt like he was coming alive again. 
And I just felt like that this part, first of all, I, I thought that was just beautiful. But um, I also felt like this was a turning point for him as well. That is a beautifully written part and making that connection to literacy. Leanne, it's funny that you pulled out that quote. I had, um, I started collecting quotes while I'm reading by taking pictures with my phone. So I had taken a picture of page 181, which, you know, closely follows that because this, I thought this chapter was a sign that it's a turning point for him because in that chapter, he makes this realization um, about the people of Afghanistan and that they were more of a victim of the Taliban and Al Qaeda than he would ever be. And so he's, he started to shift his perspective of the people. He started to also, I think, shift um, his perspective of his role there and, and that he wasn't solely fighting to keep um, terrorism off of American soil, that there were, other um, purposes, other people to save um, in other ways. And this chapter was that place where that realization um, started to sink in for him. So I had picked out not that same passage, but, you know, very similar spot in the book because it was the, the bridge to Terabithia that I think was like the impetus for that turning point. Chrissy, I have that that same passage marked, <laughs> and I have the word change written on my sticky note. <laughs> so this would be a beautiful book to do, to have students um, practice signposts, I thought, too, because that's a contrasting contradiction. That's a new thought that he's having um, that he hadn't had before. Be- and before that point, he still was kind of holding on to that, like, itching to do the fighting as opposed to itching to do the, the, the work with the local people. You know, I had just taught signposts a couple of weeks ago. And so that was kind of on my mind as I was reading this book too. And there are many in there. So, you know, if there are teachers who use those, this would be an excellent, um, an excellent book for that because I think there are, are many that kids could find. I wanted to jump ahead and read the author's note while I was reading the book. Um, And one of the things that struck me when I I waited until the end, um, because I couldn't peel myself out of the story (laughs) to take a break for the author's note. But one of the things that like I, I absorbed at a deeper level than reading the author's note was that Jawad Arash wrote his part in English. And that's not even his, home language um, his first language and the writing is beautiful mm-hmm. not just the story itself being powerful but the actual craft of the writing is beautiful and I thought what a gift to be able to do that in a second language so I did um, skip ahead to the author notes and the end notes there at the end because this story um, it was really heavy Um, And I just needed a break from it. And I admired that also. And when in the acknowledgments, uh, he's thanking his English teachers and uh, just uh, it just inspired me and gave me, um, I don't know, the hope (laughs) that I needed to keep going. But I I did skip in the middle and I 
was really glad that I did. I usually don't skip ahead in books, but I guess I felt like it was okay because it wasn't actually reading the end of the story. <laughs> it's just reading the end pages. Um, and so I've had a lot of thoughts as the conversation's been going. Uh, but before we close, Christy, I thought it was really interesting the way you were talking about how you read this book and that when it... Um, how the voices, um, when you heard it on the audio, helped you make sense of it or, you know, keep them clear in your mind. And so I was thinking about, you had also, we were talking about the book talk following the breadwinner. And so I guess what I was really curious about, I know when you do your book talks, you usually uh, share just a sampling of the book. And I wondered if you had thought about sharing the audio of the book during a book talk or... Or how, you know, if you had done any thinking about that, I was just kind of curious about it. It was making me think about it. I haven't done that, but I can't, I really like that idea um, of instead of my voice reading it, like hearing the audio, the audio happening. I usually read like a first, you know, a first couple of pages, like a first chapter Friday. But um, I think that's a great idea. I've done it before. I think what's, what would be tricky in this one is um, I'd want to, I'd want to share a lot because I would want to share a point where there's like a a shift in the voices because that's the power of it. Like where you get um, sort of the softness of Bahir's voice and Bahir's story. And then the harshness of this sort of American um, in this military world. And you get like kind of the harshness of the the voices of the generals and stuff. So I would want to share clips of both of them. um, So they'd get sort of the sense that you have those dual stories and dual voices going on in the book. So I hadn't considered it for this book, but I'd have to think wisely about passages, I think. Everyone, I've really enjoyed the conversation tonight. And as we wrap up, I'm just curious if anybody has some final thoughts that they want to share. Um, reading Enduring Freedom, one of the things that stood out to me was um, the depth to which I now can appreciate um, Afghan culture. And it made me think of um, the way I felt after reading Daniel Nayeri's Everything Sad is Untrue, um, which is about different culture, but it, it gave me um, a greater appreciation for his Iranian culture. Um, and both of them speak of this ancient Persian poetry and the elders and their family who have this um, knowledge of it and this desire to pass it down. And it really, um, I know that's kind of like a crazy aside, but I, it made me think that I really want to look into some Persian, ancient Persian poetry, um, because I think there's sort of these threads of wisdom Uh, in these other cultures that are grounded in that. And it hasn't been at all part of um, my, my education whatsoever. Um, So that's an odd takeaway, but (laughs) that was one of my takeaways. I think um, one of my greatest takeaways so far has been these two different perspectives and kind of having like this window to look into the Afghani perspective of having invaders come into your your country, and then the American's perspective of trying to, at the beginning, you know, trying to get 
revenge on what's happened to us here. And I feel like that going back and forth is what's been the most interesting part for me so far. I would have to agree with both Tara and Christy on that. Um, But I also want to add just again, that the power of story and the, the importance of education that is another common thread throughout this book. So all of those areas I think are just really, really important. And I'm just, I'm excited that you guys read it and have come and shared your thoughts with me tonight. I appreciate that. At Choice Literacy, we know that you want to be an educator who makes students' lives better through literacy. In order to do that, you need access to comprehensive literacy practices delivered in a way you will actually use. With over 150 in-the-field contributors, we understand the pressure to reach a variety of needs and not enough time to do it, which is why we hold true to workshop tenets like choice and share practical ways to plan and deliver literacy instruction straight to the point of student need. You can find links to all of the articles discussed in the show notes or sign up for the Big Fresh so you can have the links delivered directly to your inbox. Keep growing readers and writers by offering choice in literacy.